0: Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks and move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 153 just ahead. Is HCA Healthcare showing the rest of us just where the latest bout of inflation could be permanent? And we're gonna continue digging into the boating industry where companies are saying one thing, but the market is saying something else. And the big crypto interview you've all been asking for, we're gonna talk to Riot Blockchain, They've got a unique source of cheap power, which promises a big bump in Bitcoin mining. Riot Blockchain CEO Jason Less tells us about what he's calling the
1: industrial era for crypto. But first, it's sponsor time. The drill down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With Era, customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use customizable interface. That's Era, AIERA.com. And there are so many ways to listen to the Drill Down Podcast, not least of which tune in iHeart,
0: Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, iTunes. On all of these platforms, you can
1: subscribe and follow us. That way you make sure to get every single show. And The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's dot com to learn more.
0: I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got the business stories behind Stocks in a Move. And we also have Isaac Webster, our executive producer, joining me from Los Angeles. Hello, Corey. How's Los Angeles?
1: It's uh, always the city of angels. So it's perfect. Just perfect. It's in every to be way. that
0: time of year. It's perfect. Yes.
1: Not quite yet, June gloom. Right. Exactly. It's actually been really nice, nice and hot. So it's been really great. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? We're going to look at HCA Healthcare. HCA Healthcare trades under HCA and shares have gained just under 5% over the past 12 months. But the shares have dropped over 20% this month, April, 2022. What's going on with HCA Healthcare?
0: Yeah, dramatic fall in the stock price. It's fallen right off a cliff in the last week after reporting earnings. And uh, what's going on with these guys? Well, first, all, let's talk about the company. Nashville-based, giant operator of healthcare facilities. Um, and, you know, they reported disappointing profits, I guess, for those who who uh, who set their hopes and their heart's desires on profits from this company. I don't, you know, that's that's, that's shorthand for people who don't know the company. They did cut their guidance, uh, saying that the, rather than the $61 billion that Wall Street uh, expected them to earn, they would earn $60.5 billion in revenues. Okay, big cut, not really. But what they talked about on the conference call, and the, what they blamed for the cut in their guidance when some perhaps hoped that the company would continue to grow, was uh, an interesting, Isaac, an interesting post-COVID change in their labor costs. Which is to say, they're going to get away from the expensive travel nurses and the contract labor that they've been relying on, but they're going to have to raise their their cost per hour um, of the people that they do keep. Um, so during COVID, as you may know, and you may have you you saw some hospital inside the hospital time during COVID. I think a lot of us did, knows I did. Um, there have been these travel nurses, these nurses who go to where the jobs are, who get paid often a lot more. Uh, I think it's coming to a primetime drama near you, the travel nurses or maybe CSI travel nurses. What do you think? That'd be a great show. I know yeah, some travel Hollywood, nurses, how do you they, pitch these things?
1: but travel nurses are always in high demand pre COVID during COVID post COVID. So how are they going to cut well, back on travel nurses? HCA says they're going to go away from contract labor, but they're
0: going to raise what they pay their existing people. Um, and the result is kind of a permanent increase in the cost of labor for these guys. And, that is the thing about this inflation, right? This inflation that every company is talking about. Is it transitory? How much of it isn't transitory? How much of it are we just going to get used to? Are the price increases going to stay? Are the labor price increases going to make up for, you know, if we all get paid 10% more and our costs go up 8%, we're all happy. The problem is that's not what's happening. Certain people are seeing big pay raises. Other people aren't. Apparently nurses at HCA are going to see increases, but the travel nurses are, are will be uh, used less. That ex- uh, increased cost of contract labor in the last quarter, which they said was really tied to COVID surges, will go away for HCA. But the permanent cost of uh, average hourly rates for contract labor are probably going to go higher. Here's HCA CFO Bill Rutherford.
2: We, uh, you know, are experiencing you know elevated cost per hour of that contract labor. Principally, we believe related to the COVID surges, our plans going forward are to continue to reduce the utilization of that contract labor and
3: eventually moderate the average hourly rate that we're having to spend for that contract labor.
2: But we think that moderation will be slower than we originally anticipated. So that's what's based in our assumptions and it's basically influenced with what we saw in the fourth quarter.
0: So fourth quarter will be got, of course, a first quarter, but I think many quarters of increased labor costs. And yes, Isaac, I think that is not a thing that is limited to HCA healthcare.
1: Corey, what is your next drill down? Hewlett-Packard Enterprise. Hewlett-Packard Enterprise, HPE, ha- has shares have fallen 4% over the past 12 months, underperforming the broader market, as we know. What's going on with HPE?
0: Well, let's remember, so when Hewlett-Packard split up uh, post-Meg Whitman, as CEO, or uh, in the process of becoming post Meg Whitman, they uh, split up into a, a Hewlett Packard and a Hewlett Packard Enterprises, and the enterprise business focus on yes, the enterprise, uh, more kind of pure computing, less selling PCs and more th- uh, things like that. So um, uh, the company reported a really strong quarter in the most recent quarter. I think it kind of got ignored, um, and it shows uh, the positive signs of the economy, uh, in particular the world of tech, where spending is just increasing. And the way people do the things that they do are increasingly digital, and much to the benefit of Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Now, company uh, specifically um, showed some really strong demand across the board for their products. Their company backlog uh, four billion dollars above where they might be at this point, so they're filling orders as fast as they can. They've got more orders to fill. Um, that's really positive for them. So it suggests that strong earnings and cash flow going forward. Will happen to a you know a company that's really been beaten up over the years. In particular, their Aruba business, Aruba Networks, uh, formerly Aruba Wireless, a company that they'd acquired, uh, doing very well. And of course, uh, in January, the company benefiting um, from a, from screwing up in the past, which is to say, under a prior management, as mentioned before, they bought this company, Autonomy, which was accused of being a giant accounting fraud. There was Mm -hmm. a big roll-up of lots of software companies. Um, A UK judge ruled in uh, HPE, Hewlett Packard Enterprises, favor uh, concerning that acquisition of Autonomy, saying that Autonomy executives did indeed book fake deals and other illegal actions that jacked up the revenues and made the numbers look really good, convincing Hewlett Packard to buy the company when in fact the numbers were phony. As a lot of, by the way, a lot of short sellers suspected at the time, there was a big short interest in the stock. Uh, A lot of people who would have told Hewlett Packard, "Don't do this deal. This thing's a roll-up full of problems." Hewlett Packard didn't want to hear it at the time. They just wanted to boost the top line. Uh, That actually helping their bottom line. Here we are, nearly a decade later after that acquisition. But there was an interesting um, sit-down, a fireside chat. I think that phrase has got to go away. Why? I I love the phrase. No one does fireside chats.
1: No, but it isn't a thing. But it's it's just a figure of speech. It doesn't mean anything anymore. Stop saying it. What means anything at all?
0: Okay, if that were true, let's just stop talking. (laughs) Right. I mean, let's actually have words mean something. Fireside chat was meaningless before COVID. So at a fireside chat where there was presumably not a fire, nor was it really, well, there was a decent chat. Uh, Tariq Rabietti, the CFO and uh, EVP at uh, Hewlett Packard Enterprise, had an interesting chat with a Stiefel analyst talking about the demand environment that they're facing right now, that it's really super strong for Hewlett Packard Enterprises and that uh, all the doom and gloom that are in the headlines, uh, uh, whether of of any kind right now, are not the case when it comes to the sales efforts at HPE. Here is indeed the HPE CFO.
2: Um, It's a really uh, very strong demand environment that we are uh, facing. And it, the demand is very strong across the board. And Q1 was the third quarter where we had um, double digit, uh, year-over-year order growth. We had 20% plus order growth overall. And we continue to have a very strong demand across every uh, business unit uh, in HPE. Um, the order growth is very much uh, aligned with the strategy that we have. So. You think about the edge, we're experiencing extremely strong demand in, in Aruba. Um, our hybrid cloud offerings in storage and supported by computer also um, very much uh, in focus and we see strong demand there too. And uh, why is that? Is because uh, the reality is that there is an ever-increasing amount of data that companies need to process and this is fueling the growth from the edge all the way on, on to Uh, the private cloud and the public cloud. And then also our as-a-service business continue, therefore, to to really do very well. Our order growth there was in triple digits in uh, Q1. So triple digit,
0: no, but double digit, pretty good growth for Hewlett-Packard Enterprises, Isaac. It's very good growth. Corey, what's your next drill down? Well, I want to stick with the... uh, the nautical theme that we have adapted uh, on a recent show that got me a lot of uh, emails and, and messages on the Twitter. Uh, we looked at, we mentioned Brunswick Products
1: recently. Let's look at uh, Marine Products, a competitor. Marine Products trades under MPX, and shares have inch j- barely higher, just about three, gaining three percent since the start of the year. But if you look out over a year, twelve months, they've tumbled twenty five percent over the twelve past twelve months.
0: Yeah, basically and, and this stock has basically been flat since September, right? It's been about it's about thirteen dollars now. It was about thirteen dollars back last September. So it's kind of been in that range between eleven and thirteen dollars for most of the last nine months. Um, so this company so first of all, let's back up and talk about the drill down podcast. Enough about you, let's talk about me. The drill down podcast is not freaking investment advice. I'm not telling anyone what, what stocks to buy. I don't know what stocks to buy. I'm not telling you what stocks to buy. I'm not giving you investment advice. This isn't about investments. It's about business. So back up. And why and do you have yes, to say all that? Cause Jim, he knows who he is <laughs> says, Hey, I'm going to go out and buy this stock that you just mentioned. I think it was Brunswick or something. It was Marine. I'm like, no dude, calm down. I'm not giving you investment advice. Don't do it. It's hit a bottom. You don't know if it's hit a bottom. Jim, I love Jim. Great guy, that Jim. But still. So I do think it's interesting, however, to hit these companies over and over again, different companies in the same sector to kind of understand what's happening, particularly what they say is different uh, than the prevailing opinion that's reflected either by a stock price or elsewhere. And so when we had comments from, in this case, from Brunswick that we talked about, I think it was last week, might have been the week before, um, where um, you know the market was saying inflation was going to hurt these companies, and on their conference calls, the company is saying it's not gonna get hurt. Brunswick in particular is saying that. But why aren't the stocks responding to the positive comments of the companies? Well, one of the concerns, and there's something we can hear about in Marine Products, is a concern not so much what customer demand is, but whether or not they can satisfy that demand, whether they can find the boats to sell and build the boats to sell. And the problems that happen is you build a boat and you run into a problem. So this company, Marine Products, not a huge company, 300 million in sales, 500 million market cap, they make uh, fiberglass power boats uh, for sport boats and, uh, uh, I don't know if you know these boats, uh, chaparral sports boats, uh, Raballo sure. fishing boats, Vortex jet boats. Um, these guys, uh, uh, in their last conference call, they're due to report earnings pretty soon here, but in their, in their Q4 conference call, January conference call, they talked about um, how just a few components can really slow things down, whether it's a... You know whether it's a windshield or it's an engine issue or whatever. Here is their uh, VP of Corporate Services, Jim Lander, is talking on their most recent conference call
4: regarding actual components and various things. And uh, you and I have discussed this before. It it just kind of moves around. It's a it's a different issue every every week. Um, luckily, issues do get resolved, but then others pop up. I mean, earlier in the in 2021, uh, engines were a big problem, but now we're fine on engines. Um, we've had a problem off and on with our very valued windshield supplier. Um, those 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 issues kind of come and go. Um, we've also had problems with some of the more basic raw materials like uh, like gel coat and and some of the resins that you use. Uh, so those those all sort of come and go. And unfortunately, what they've done is forced us to partially or mostly complete uh, boats and wait for that final. Uh, final component. So um, if you ask us this week, we'll tell you one thing. If you ask us next next week, we'll tell you that maybe this week's issue was resolved, but there's there is perhaps a new one. Uh, we do think these, these issues overall are going to get ironed out this year, but it's been tough going the past number of months.
0: So that was Jim Landers, not Jim, our devoted listener, who's a great guy. He doesn't know if it's a bottom on Brunswick or anything else. But uh, but uh, I do think it's interesting to hear these companies really say that they've got customer demand and that they do see an end to these problems at some point. But filling the orders is the challenge. And I think we're going to when we look at the earnings from all of the companies in the boating sector. Um, we're going to look and see if they were really able to cobble together some boats uh, and get them out the door and report the earnings that I think Wall Street really isn't expecting. Uh, that's probably going to happen the next couple of weeks. And it'll be an interesting one to watch. You're going to buy me a boat for my birthday, Isaac? say.
1: Uh, you mean tomorrow? We don't have to say when my birthday is, but I'm just saying. Uh, you know what? Uh, I'll think about it. You, oh, really? You, you deserve a boat, though. You talk a lot about boats. I, and I'm not really much of a boating guy. You're not? Sailboats.
0: Like my, I like a sailboat. Yeah, a nice well, sailboat. sailboat's Good a boat. Type. Yes, it is. Best kind. Um, you know what the best kind of crypto is? What? Out of the kind that you bought at a lower price and sell at a higher <laughs> price. I don't know. Um, uh, or the kind that could be used for something. I don't know that Bitcoin can be used for a lot of things, but Bitcoin mining uh, is a fascinating business. Riot Blockchain is a company devoted to Bitcoin mining and has found some interesting solutions to some uh, common problems of trying to find cheap power. We're gonna talk to the CEO, Jason Less, about Bitcoin, about crypto
1: and about mining right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit braintrust.com. That's B R A I N T R U S T.com to learn more.
0: Welcome back to the Drill Down podcast. As promised, we are joined right now by Jason Les. He is the CEO of Riot Blockchain publicly traded uh, crypto company, of which there are not many, um, which has surely been to your benefit, Jason. Um, glad to have you. As always, we want to talk about the stock price. I don't really care. Um, I am interested. I, I am really torn about how to do this interview, though, uh, because I'm I'm still amazed that I, I talk to a lot of people who are completely dis- dismissive of understanding crypto or blockchain or Bitcoin. And it's not as if these are the same people would say, Oh yeah, computer networking. I don't even understand it. Or or, you know, hydroelectric power. Yeah, I don't I don't I couldn't possibly insurance. I'll never invest in insurance. Banking. I don't understand banking. But they're perfectly willing to say I'm a freaking moron when it comes to crypto. So I'm not gonna try to understand it. I don't I don't get that. Um I haven't really experienced that in other technology really. I guess I guess the dot com era had that going for it.
3: Yeah, it's an interesting observation. I mean, I, I think you know, we've come so used to the Internet and what have you now that uh, I, I think we take it for granted. But, you know, I remember, you know, 25 years ago, people were skeptical of, hey, why, why am I going to send an email? I got a fax machine right here. What, what, you know, what's the, what's the right, point right, of that? Right, right. But, but to your have point you of, of the mailman, to, <laughs> to your point of why it's different. You know, I think it's because cryptocurrency or, you know, more specifically, Bitcoin, is a change in the way people think about money. And money is one of the most fundamental tools that humankind uses to interact with each other. So you have a banking system, you have c- computer networking, and you know people are just kind of accept that for what it is because that's a thing. But Bitcoin is really changing the way people do commerce and understand how money works. And I think because it's such a critical part of people's lives, like one of the truly foundational blocks of what we're doing every day, how we get supplies and goods and services amongst each other, that it really throws people for a loop when um, the entire worldview around it changes. But yeah, very, very interesting how, how how skeptical some people can be, but also how accepting others can be.
0: Yeah, now and I'll, I'll toss in that people don't really understand how money works now. They don't really know. I mean, mm-hmm. the uh, uh, perfect evidence of this is the recent conversation about SWIFT, and how it had to do with, uh, as if it had something to do with Russia and sanctions and, right. you know, oh, really, Russia won't be allowed to use a system that's got a 30% error rate and three days to close transactions and really high fees. And, you know, it, 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 it we don't, I think it's hard to, for people to really understand the velocity of money anyway right now. But let's leave that aside. Let's talk about Riot Blockchain and kind of some basic uh, ways. And we'll maybe get a little bit into the weeds in our short time together. Um, Riot Blockchain, as I see it, is is essentially a miner. Is that correct? You guys, you guys create new bitcoins by running math problems on computers as as bitcoin miners.
3: Yeah, we're we're a bitcoin mining company. We run this hardware specifically designed for doing this bitcoin mining algorithm, and we get bitcoin as a reward for that. But beyond just that, we are. Builders of purpose built Bitcoin mining infrastructure. We have a 100 acre site out in Rockdale, Texas. That's the largest site uh, in North America and will probably soon be in the world. And we actually also internally have an engineering, electrical engineering uh, subsidiary that designs and manufactures electrical components, both for Bitcoin mining and uh, both for, for other industries as well. So while a Bitcoin mining company, we are very vertically integrated and have some te- tangential business lines as a result
0: uh in texas everything's 100 miles away from each other but rocky is <laughs> only about 50 miles from uh austin yeah uh what does it look like out there why are you it there? is
3: it, it is incredible you know for for so many reasons and I, I still vividly remember the first time i drove up to that site to take a look at it and despite being in Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining for many years, it was astonishing to see something of that scale. I think when people think about Bitcoin mining, you know, they maybe think about a warehouse somewhere or maybe set a garage that's Bitcoin miners uh, somewhere. But that windstone, our windstone site, is a symbol of the industrial area, uh, industrial era that Bitcoin mining has gone to. So you're talking 100 acres. We have seven buildings now, half of which are still under construction. That's five hundred thousand square feet of Bitcoin mining data center space, and it's next to a you know a wonderful community or near a wonderful community, not close enough to bother anyone. And it's uh, it, it is it's incredible to see because of how much activity and building is going on there all the time. Every time I go there, the site looks different because there's been so much progress since the last time I'm there. So. Um, we, we we take a lot of pride in that site, and we put a lot of effort into showcasing it out, showcasing it and taking people out for tours, so they can not only see what we as a company are, but they can see the level that Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining has reached in adoption. And this
0: so this was built by by the Texas Power Authority, whatever that is. It's I forget the acronym for the, for uh, the so.
3: Uh, yeah, the, the, site was, yeah the site was the site was not. Uh, yeah, no. So we built the site, or our team that we uh, now is under Riot Blockchain built the site from scratch. It was an empty field, uh, just like a little over two years ago. It was a completely okay. empty field, and it was next to a point on the grid that had an abundance of power. Uh, one of the largest switchyards in Central Texas. And the reason that was, is because this site was formerly an Alcoa aluminum smelting plant and a luminate generation site, both of which shut down, went out of business years ago. But nonetheless, this point on the grid for of the interconnecting to the ERCOT grid that you're referencing still remained, and there was a surplus power at that point. So Bitcoin mining is an ideal load to come in and take that excess power, and that's why and that, uh, we built out there.
0: And that power is not due to natural resources. It's not next to the power plant per se. You draw, which is to say, you draw power from all sorts of sources, uh, everything from coal to nat gas to wind to solar.
3: Yeah, we pull right from the ERCOT grid and um, ERCOT gives a fact sheet on a monthly basis on, you know, what the generation looks like. So for March 2022, ERCOT was about 51 percent natural gas, 25 percent wind, 13 percent coal, 5 percent nuclear, 4 percent solar and then other and other. Um, And if you look at how that's changing over time
0: the other is probably texas a hamster becoming, running around on a wheel somewhere
3: <laughs> maybe, maybe some a guy, lot of some, guy to, some guy on a treadmill somewhere but basically right, texas right. is the you know hot, biggest producer of wind energy in the country it is a super high potential in solar so every year you're seeing more wind and solar being built and coal becoming a smaller and smaller part of that grid over time and because of that there's you know volatility in that energy market on the supply of energy. And naturally there's volatility in the demand of energy. So loads like Bitcoin mining come in and help stabilize that grid by having the flexibility to buy power at any time, but also shut off at any time when demand is very high. It's
0: I've, I've heard you talk in investor presentations and you sound, uh, pardon me, but it's undefensive about the use of coal, which (laughs) on one hand, I totally understand. On the other hand, I think who cares? It's, it's, it's sort of, it's really about you guys are getting cheap power, from however the grid decides to use it, I wonder what you, do investors? When you talk to them, they don't want to hear about coal. They're concerned about getting off coal. They're concerned about climate change. Is that personal? Is it? I'm 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 just curious about your thoughts about that.
3: So in in general, the, I mean, there is as especially recently, you know, ESG is a prominent topic. There are lots yeah. of investors, institutions, um, regulators that ask about that kind of stuff. But for me, more than anything, I just want to show people the numbers and the facts. I'm not taking a position necessarily one way or the other. You know, I, I, you know, explaining this is what a very common question is, what is your Uh, generation mix. Even if it's not, you know, specifically, hey, you know, in an accusatory manner, why aren't you using enough renewables? People want to know what the generation mix is. And Texas is such an interesting energy market and environment that I, you know, like to go into detail explaining what that mix is and explaining how that is changing over time. And that leads into why there's an opportunity for us in the power market in Texas. It's because of these renewables that create this volatility in supply. We help, you know, strengthen that grid and we can make money by providing power when those generation sources aren't uh, generating.
0: Yeah, I think of your business as being really, really simple to understand, but t- t- tell me, I'm sure it's not, nothing is, right? It just seems that way, But but it seems to me that the inputs, it's really simple, the input is, the cost of the machinery amortized over its useful life, which is only a few years, which is the mining mining equipment. The cost of the energy, which is you know why you pick the places you're at, and the output cost, and then you've got your overhead of 100 employees or so, and then you've got your output is the is the bitcoin itself, which is an, a, 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 a very volatile or you know uh, uh, endpoint for, but really not super volatile. As far as commodities go, any commodity can can jump by, as we've certainly seen this year, on any given moment by 20, 30%. It's not uncommon to see that with commodities or currencies for that matter. And that's kind of the business. You make the thing, you sell the thing, and your input costs for the thing are very low. Or, very, yeah, or I shouldn't I, say very low. They're very, they're very knowable.
3: That That is a succinct way of describing the business, but I think the complexity comes into scaling this business. Bitcoin mining is an arms race. Everyone is growing. Like the network, the Bitcoin mining network is substantially larger now than it was 3 years ago, 6 years ago, etc. It is a game of scale. And since we're a Bitcoin company, we are trying to mine as much Bitcoin as possible. We want to be a if not the industry leader, and to do that we have to continue to aggressively scale. So to do that, there becomes a lot of operational strategy. There's a lot of um, strategic thinking that goes into getting the most hash rate to maximize your Bitcoin mining output. And then there's a lot of strategy on the financing component of the business as well. It is a capital intensive business. And you know we have to be uh, methodical in how we are maintaining our balance sheet and financing all this growth uh, to, 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 to keep or get to a pole position.
0: So here I am in Northern California. What's my cost of power per megawatt hour?
3: Oh man, it is. <laughs> I, uh, I have no idea. I mean, I saw so I, I'm in Southern California. I think we pay 25 cents a kilowatt hour. I, okay. I just I don't even look at the bill anymore from okay. that perspective. And, what,
0: and so you so you want to be paying less than 25 cents per kilowatt hour? I said megawatt per kilowatt. I'm not using them. I've got a lot of teenagers, but I'm not using a <laughs> megawatt. Uh, but uh, per kilowatt hour, so. Um, If you're paying twenty five cents in SoCal, um, which has kind of cheap energy compared to other places, uh, some other places, what are you paying in Texas?
3: So our site in Texas had uh, for the second half of twenty twenty one, we averaged about two point seven cents a kilowatt hour.
0: Oh my goodness! I thought it was closer to eight cents when we first started that.
3: No, no, yeah, eight cents would be pretty high. The industry average for Bitcoin mining is around four to four and a half cents.
0: And you're at two and a half? Amazing! So let us let's let's shift locales to lovely. Messina, New York. Mm-hmm. For those who haven't been, I've actually, believe it or not, I've been to Messina, New York, Jason. Oh, really? Um, Messina, New York, is way the hell north, of New York, uh, right, right off the St. Lawrence River, uh, near near Canada, uh, much closer to Ottawa or Montreal than it is to New York City or Buffalo or even Albany, probably. Uh, well, Albany certainly. Um, uh, so, Miss, what are you paying in Messina?
3: Uh, so that is with a third party host. So that energy, um, it, it, you know, it, it's a very low cost, but I don't want to necessarily get into their their, their uh, private information, but it's a very, very competitive cost because there's a surplus of power. cheap because they're, they're there.
0: close. To, right. They're really close to a dam. On, is a dam on the St. Lawrence?
3: Uh, I believe so, yeah. So, uh, you know, it's also coincidentally, that was also formerly an Alcoa aluminum smelting plant. So these aluminum smelting plants used so much energy, they had these cheap energy things. But when they uh, shut down, you know, that capacity just remained out there. And uh, the one industry, the the one next industry, big buyer power that made sense to come in was uh, Bitcoin mining. That uh,
0: that's, that's absolutely amazing. Um, and that's sort of near the Thousand Island uh, uh, region right was familiar um and you you guys initially started operations up there because you had a third party that was really doing all this work of, of site selection building the essentially the data center finding the place that was optimal for uh data center usage which coincides with uh, the usage of um of, of bitcoin equipment I would, yeah, imagine so being, I... I would imagine being cold up there for a good part of the year doesn't hurt either
3: we're, yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, stepping back a little bit, Riot started mining Bitcoin from the very beginning. In 2018, we had a uh, facility in Oklahoma City that was about 12 megawatts, which at the time seemed very big. And to put that in perspective, right now we're building out to 700 megawatts at our Winstone facility in Texas. Um, so, we had this 12 megawatt site, but we were looking to expand and we wanted to reduce our costs. The, the, our total cost of production there was not quite as cheap as what, what we were looking for. So in early 2020, mid-2020, 2020, we left the Oklahoma City facility and we started utilizing um, this third-party hosting facility called CoinMint. CoinMint is the one that identified that site and built that out to host other people's Bitcoin mining equipment. So by doing that, we, one, reduced our operating costs, which is very important, but two, we they had more capacity than we had at Oklahoma City. So that opened up a pathway for us to expand so we could focus on buying miners and getting them deployed there. While on a parallel track, we were surveying the marketplace, looking for infrastructure to acquire and build out ourselves. And that's when we found Winstone and we acquired that company and that facility in uh, May of last year.
0: When you say acquiring miners, what you're referring to is the actual hardware essentially computer servers that are or, or computers that are that are designated just to make Bitcoin the chips are specialized for that the storage is not on the unit itself the fan on the devices it's all uh, optimized for that purpose
3: exactly these machines these miners mm-hmm. are special purpose you can call them servers pieces of hardware that are designed for doing one thing the Bitcoin mining algorithm which is Sha 256 these machines are refined constantly the manufacturers are trying to make them do as many hashes per second of that algorithm while using as little energy as possible. The only thing these machines do is mine Bitcoin.
0: And, and talk. let's talk a little bit about that. We don't have a lot of time, but I want to get into that because this is obviously one of the biggest issues in the world right now about um, supply chain and the ability to get semiconductors. And you guys, uh, uh, you know, rather be lucky than smart, it's good to be both. You guys acquired, you, you were in a contract to acquire a whole bunch of mining machines before the semiconductor um, shortage really made itself known. Is that right?
3: Yeah, so we um, were very forward thinking and from that standpoint, we started, so we made that move to CoinMin in mid 2020 and, and on a parallel track, we were aggressively buying up as many machines as we possibly could. The market for Bitcoin wasn't great back then. Bitcoin had just, you know, had just, in, in March 2020, uh, like everything else, crashed down, hitting lows of about 3,500, you know, and made some recovery, but hadn't really taken off yet. Uh, but we believed in the long-term vision of Bitcoin. We believed in our ability to compete in mining. So we wanted to procure as much hardware as possible. So we started entering into multiple long-term purchase agreements throughout 2020 and beyond. And then when the Bitcoin market started taking off and, you um, early 2021 and the semiconductor uh, market constrained even further, the prices of machines shot up dramatically. So we were buying these machines in 2020. I think we started buying them at around $2,200 a unit. And most recently machines were selling new for, you know, around 10 to 12,000 a unit. So the prices have gone up considerably with all the demand and lack of supply.
0: So machines cost 12,000 per unit. Um, how long do these machines last? How many years are they good for?
3: So it's a it's a question that we can really only guess around because it depends on the, well the two concepts of the lifespan it of machine. the machine,
0: the advance of semiconductors, right? Like how right. much the so next the, semiconductors, how they're, fast they're, they are, and how cheap they'll be.
3: There's the competitive component, and then there's just the durability of the component. These machines are made pretty durable. Like if you take care of them, they will run for a long time. But the competitive component is, you know, the most critical. How long will this machine, this level of semiconductor, uh, be competitive versus whatever comes out in the future? And the one data point we have to work with is the last major machine before this generation uh, is called the Antminer S9 uh, by the uh, leading manufacturer Bitmain. That was released in summer of uh, 2016 and that machine is still running today if you have a low power cost that machine is still profitable so we're going on almost six years with that machine and the advancements have only slowed down that curve of improvement is just flattening out over time so with this latest generation the s19 you know we're optimistic that it will last at least as long if not longer but you know that's that that's the answer to that question is a function of what type of technological revolutions might happen over those coming why, of years
0: but why isn't that a function of Moore's law which would say that the which i know is a marketing principle not an but it <laughs> but it has actually proven out to be true which is the cost of the semiconductor the conductor cuts in half or the performance doubles every 18 months
3: um cuz it's it's not just a function of Uh, Well, first off, I I don't think Moore's Law is necessarily playing out as previously thought, and it's not so much as getting more performance, but it's, it's getting performance while using less and less power. It's the efficiency that's the key competitive component of these machines. How much hashes are you getting per joule of energy? And I, I, that is, I, I think, distinct from what Moore's Law is. And you can that's really only get so close to zero energy, right? At some point, you know, we're, we're using energy.
0: You are going to use energy, right? The, I
3: mean, the first the first generations of these machines were, I mean, I, I couldn't even tell you what it was back then. Maybe, a, 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 you know, thousands of watts uh, per thousands of, of watts of energy were needed for every hash you were doing. And right now, the leading hardware is doing a 21 watts per terahash. So that, that it, the adoption has gone down. So we're down to 21 watts per terahash in efficiency up from previously thousands. I mean, down from previously thousands. And it, there's really only so far it can go short of some technological revolution that we cannot predict right now.
0: And I don't think so much of analysts on Wall Street, and yet they, they do have a per- presumption that your output is going to increase significantly in the next 12 months. What is that a, a function of?
3: That's a, primarily a function of all of these minor purchase orders that we've entered into. You know, we've right. purchased over 100,000 machines. We So we have deployed and on purchased um, approximately 120,000 machines. And we have just short of our last update was just short of 40,000 deployed uh, as of the end of February. So we have about another eighty thousand we're going to be deploying over the next ten or so months, and that's what's driving the analyst it system. It's as we deploy what's more machines. What's taking so
0: long to plug those suckers in? Just plug them in the wall, get them going.
3: Well, it, it's 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 <laughs> receiving them from the manufacturer, so they they produce them and they send them out on a monthly basis. So we received we receive a few thousand miners on a monthly basis. We receive them, we deploy them, we wait for the next batch, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Uh, Well, Jason, I've used up a ton of your time, and I'm grateful for it. Um, Jason Less is the CEO of Riot Blockchain. Um, Definitely a company to watch because it's just, it's really interesting what you guys are doing. As simple as it is, it's even more interesting, perhaps. (laughs) It's like, it's perfect for Texas. The oil business is simple. Stick a hole in the ground and see what comes out. That's kind of what you guys are doing with a power consumption basis. Riot Blockchain, CEO Jason Less. Thank you very much. We appreciate your time. Thank you, Corey. All right, coming up next on The Drill Down, The Drill Down Byte, we'll have one number
1: about Riot Blockchain that will tell you a whole lot when The Drill Down continues. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. With Era, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's Era. A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to The Drill Down podcast not
0: just on your phone, not just on your computer, but on your smart speaker, just turn to that smart speaker. Perhaps it's an Amazon Alexa. You could say, hey, Alexa, play the Drill Down podcast.
1: And you'll hear our latest show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Pod. And connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right,
0: we're back with the Drill Down bite. That one number that tells us a whole lot. Isaac, how many acres do you think... The, the number will be there bite. the Rockdale, Texas facility uh that uh, Riot uh, Blockchain is now basing their operations at. Uh, how how many acres do you think that takes up
2: for the um, power
1: that they have? I'm just going to guess, but I would say 10 acres. 100. 100 acres. Don't wow. they say 100
0: down in, in Dallas, in Texas, outside I of Austin? Mean, yeah. 100 acres. Okay. Yeah, 100 acres. Uh, it's huge. That is huge. Total capacity of 750 megawatts in that facility. Um, so really, uh, and just as he mentioned, 2.7 cents per watt, um, per kilowatt, I should say, um, really fascinating that, that all the, the, the lengths at which other companies will go. I read a piece in a paper, uh, I think it was the Wall Street Journal this weekend. It talked about, um, how some private equity firms are finding shut down coal plants that they're firing up to mine Bitcoin. So while everyone else is moving away from coal, they're like, Hey, this is cheap stuff.
1: It the shit out of things, but we can make some Bitcoin. Right. Right. Well, I mean, rights, rights um, answer some of those questions too, in our interview, I believe. Yeah. hundred percent. But uh, maybe not
0: going after restarting coal plants. Thanks for nothing. Right. Private <laughs> equity. All right. You've been listening to Drill on Podcast. We are so grateful for your time. We'd love to know what you think of the show. So Hit us up uh, with an email anytime, or find us on Twitter at DrilldownPod. I'm also at TV on the Twitter. Love to hear from you. Maybe it'll be Elon Musk's own t- Twitter. Can't believe that. I always thought he'd eject me from a car, and maybe he'll eject me from Twitter too. He has blocked me from seeing his tweets on the Twitter. Mister, Mister, I believe in free speech, but I digress. New era. An episode of the Drill. New chapter. Yes, new indeed. chapter. This has been the Drilled on Isaac Websters, our executive producer Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. The Drilled on is a production of the Business Podcast Network.